Welcome to another interview for the Zero to ASIC YouTube channel. And today I'm very happy to be joined by Dirk and Wynn, who are both involved in the fabulous FPGA fabric. Uh, they were involved in the MPW2 tape outs with eFabulous recently. And today we're going to be talking to them about their projects and their experience on MPW2. So welcome, Dirk and Wynn. Nice to see you both. Thanks for the kind invitation. <laughs> and you're, are you, um, you're based in Manchester, Dirk? Yes. And Wynn? So in the background, what you see, that's Manchester, okay. a little bit of it. Nice. The uh, home of um, indus um, the Industrial Revolution. Um, exactly. Wynn, whereabouts are you based? Are you also in Manchester? Yes, I'm in Manchester. Not, not quite so high up. <laughs> in the room. <laughs> For the postdoc, you know, it's, it's not a lecture. <laughs> and um, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, fabulous FPGA framework? So we, this whole project started with the Forte project, which is a 6.3 million a UK uh, platform grant. Yeah, so it's quite a substantial amount of money with Southampton at Imperial College. And it's uh, researching Membrista technology for building reconfigurable devices. And we here in Manchester look actually into building FPGA fabrics using Membrista technology. And in order to do that research, of course, we want to build chips at the end of the day. Um, I started very early on building this framework in order to have full control over the whole flow, including the ASIC generation, but also using open source tools, integrate them in order to have CAD tools so that you can take, for example, your Verilog and run it on your chip. Yeah, so that was kind of the origins. Yeah, and then I had a little bit of a sabbatical. And I had like uh, a couple of weeks, months time to program that. And then I was joined by a larger team. And we have now quite an active community moving this tool forward. So how many people are there in the team then? Oh, at the moment we have, well, it's myself, it's Win, it's... Uh, who is doing the ASIC uh, part and the physical backends. Uh, we have Win working on the uh, FPGA cut tool integration. And we have two summer project students working for a couple of months now uh, and adding some optimizations and, and polishing the tools. Okay. And you said um, you'd taken a sabbatical. How long has the whole project been running for? Um, oh, Forte itself is now on for two years roundabout. And I would say pretty early on we started uh, with Fabulous, yeah. But it took a little bit time before we went live with this because we wanted to have a certain quality that that uh, that is really usable, that it works reliable. Yeah, and we had our first tape out now that came back and, and the chip is working. So we know uh, it does the job. And so that was um, before the... Um, the Google eFabulous announcement, I take it. Yes, that was um, that was um, an, a TMSC 180 nanometer process. Uh, it was just because this was like an, an MPW 
that we did within the Forte project with the, uh, just along the project partners. Yeah. And, and uh, we went for an old process because of cost reasons. Yeah. And, and as part of that uh, tape out, we, we did our first chip, which was a, uh, which was um, a small FPGA fabric coupled uh, for custom instruction set extensions with an, uh, with a risk five CPU. That sounds really interesting. We'll get um, we'll um, get a bit more into that later on, I think. Um, so, I don't know if you've seen. Um, I don't think you were involved in MPW one, were you? Just no. MPW two. Okay. So, I've seen quite a lot of FPGA fabrics on MPW one and two. Maybe like four or five different ones. Ha um, do you, have you checked them out? Uh, well, the, there is basically the other ones or in the first one that was the Open FPGA initiative. Uh, fundamentally, we have kind of similar goals, use similar approaches, um, probably are pretty similar in terms of quality of results. Um, the open source uh, FPGA CAT tools are very similar. There are, however, a few things where we differentiate, uh, where we think they are important in the sense that um, um, the Open FPGA project comes from the very established WPR framework, which is an, a long-standing open source uh, tool to do design space explorations for FPGAs, which is something you want to do if you want to build an FPGA from scratch. And we basically wanted to have a different approach where we say, hmm, if you know already what your FPGA fabric uh, should look like, you may not necessarily need so much design space exploration, point one. Point two, using design space exploration is a very tricky beast. And, and um, it, it comes with a lot of complexity that you usually don't uh, want to deal with if you want to build a complex SOC and just embed your FPGA. And the philosophy is in, in Fabulous that we provide you a view that is a little bit more what you know from silings, where you say, oh, I have a CLB column, I have a blockram column, I have a DSP column, and you can compose them together. Nevertheless, you can still parameterize everything, yeah, and you can say, I want lookup tables that have a certain size, you can... Um, um, parameterize the switching fabric, those kinds of things. Yeah, but it's it's a little bit a different philosophy that we the that we come basically that we say okay we provide you for example a Spartan three clone, and you can adapt it to your needs. For example, kicking out some wires, playing around with a number of columns uh, of of logic and so forth. Yeah. And there are also on the technology side a few one fundamental difference. And that is that the open FPGA uh, fabrics, they use shift registers for configuration, which we find quite problematic. Um, this would dive a little bit too much into details, probably. But if you if you think of a normal CLB tile, that's that's um, that's like a logic block that bundles together a switch matrix and a couple of lookup tables. You need round about 500 to 1,000 configuration bits. And um, the way we do this in Fabulous is that we organize these configuration bits like in, in words, 
typically in our case 32 bits, but it could be anything else. Yeah, and we, we write basically word-wise, almost like what you would do in a memory array. And you can selectively update individual bits, what you need for partial configuration. If you, what um, OpenFPGA does, they daisy chain all these configuration bits together and form a very long shift register, which means in a large FPGA fabric, they have eventually thousands of configuration bits um, that they have to shift in which causes um, huge dynamic power, which you don't want. You may configure during configuration, um, um, ring oscillators, all kinds of transients effects that you typically don't want. Yeah, and you can't really do things like partial reconfiguration, which was a thing that I definitely wanted to support. Um, also, there is an advantage with doing this is that for configuration storage itself, I just need latches. I don't need uh, uh, flip-flops, yeah? In order to offset the cost for flip-flops, OpenFPGA does custom um, um, shift registers or custom flip-flops for configuration storage. We don't have to do this. We can just take a standard cell, uh, latch out of the, of the standard cell library and we get basically the same area. Other things like, like how to implement um, um, switch matrix multiplexes using, for example, custom multiplexes that's that's supported in both frameworks okay so yeah one of my future questions um that i think you just answered was about the um configuration like i was interested like so really the only fpga fabric that i'm used to is the ice 40 and i know that's a four input lut with a flip-flop on it and some carry logic um so you're saying that uh with the fabulous fpga architecture you can kind of have a configuration that says okay i want a six input but or make those kinds of decisions the the way how we do that is um i i kept fabulous deliberately simple but generic at the same time for our uh, first tape out and we actually uh, took a lot of these concepts also in the uh, in the shuttle run in the second shuttle run in in, in that fabric is essentially um, we we went for the ice 40 logic cells and i just did it because all the um, Joseph's next pnr but also um, vpr work um, is very well supported for that device. So I don't want it to take a high risk. I can model what I can model any FPGA architecture. I can even model um, ultra scale devices from Silings. I can model um, Altera devices. And uh, but I choose. Uh, I went deliberately for the ICE forty, just because they are so well supported in uh, the open source cut tools, and I want to have something that's reliably working. We added a few kind of own features, yeah, like DSP blocks with a wider accumulator and so forth, which you can also then instantiate. Yeah, but, and then this was just the logic uh, tile, but for the routing, I used essentially a Spartan 3 um, routing uh, graph. Yeah, I, I work on, on low level FPGA aspects for a very long time, and I know in detail the architecture graph of. Um, Spartan 3 FPGAs, and well, Spartan 3 FPGAs, they are now 20 years old, so all patents are expired, so we could consider them as kind of um, 
um, am usable for us all, right? And and so I used basically that routing fabric and I, I, I took this architecture graph and just put it into our fabulous model, which is relatively easy to do, and uh, combined this into a fabric. So maybe that's a good um, point to move on into talking about the support with the open source CAD tools, because one thing that I was quite interested to see was that out of the box, um, NextPNR and Yosis will work for um, the designs that you put in MPW2. Yes. And I've, yes. I've seen a few other projects and spoken to a few other people, and it seems like... Um, that that side of things is a bit less well developed. So it's really interesting for me that, um, say, if you were kind enough to send me a sample from your MPW two, I would be able to use Yosis and XPNR to put a bitstream on that FPGA with the open source tools. Yes, this is um, this is um, we have quite some work uh, growing. Uh, on in the background, um, making this all happening. So they actually at the moment, uh, it's it's one of this one student working full time uh, for a couple of weeks, months, uh, um, polishing the VPR flow, getting this run. So so we don't want to limit anybody, and we basically generate VP, uh, VPR models out of um, of fabulous. And uh, we, at the same time, we have Ying uh, implementing the um, next PNR path, the Joseph's next PNR path, and that are really people working full time now for a couple of weeks uh, doing this. So it's it's not trivial, but it's it's doable, yeah. And and it's it's actually not so super hard because fundamentally we have the architecture graph modeled in in um, in. Um, 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 our fabulous tool, and we use it to generate the ASICs. And if you want, so we you you have to write a different backend uh, to generate the architecture graphs in a format that the CAD tools understand. And of course, there is a little bit more to do that you get also the timing information out of the ASIC later and annotated into the um, 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 FPGA CAD tools because they can all do um, timing-driven place and drop. See, that's a really interesting point, just to interrupt there, was I, I know that one of the um, the shortcomings in um, the open source tools as applies to the reverse-engineered FPGAs is that we don't have the precise timing information. So next PNR is always a bit conservative to make sure that your design works. And that, that last bit of performance isn't accessible because we don't have the full timing information. But I suppose that's something that's really um, great about um, doing an open source FPGA because we will have the exact timing information. We can get the best performance out of it. We are doing even more. Um, there is work uh, by Badia. It's actually another PhD student working on this one. Um, he started originally working on our FPGA virus scanner um, work, and, and we try to build like a scanner that detects aging effects, which is fundamentally the same thing that you need if you build your own FPGA and you want to uh, characterize that one. Yeah, and he is generating test configurations uh, to validate the or, or to. Uh, precisely characterize 
the, the timing information from the ASIC, so we can actually see how uh, the um, what the real chip looks like and what the um, uh, the ASIC cut tools will report us. Yeah, so we get even an extra level of confidence. There is something more we add. We don't think it's absolutely needed or necessary, but we are actually building a validation tool that ensures that the the um, open source CAD tools and the silicon are all based exactly on the same model. Yeah, um, um, we, we have, of course, like um, a correctness by construction approach that we go from one golden model and, and derive the, the silicon as well as the models for the CAD tools. But, well, uh, we talk about quite a, a complex software stack, yeah, and like you do... Uh, some levels of, of, of uh, uh, checks if in the ASIC world, if transformations are correct, we want to ensure we are building tests actually that ensure that the silicon and the um, FPGA CAD tools are based on the same model to just give extra confidence. Okay. And, and one further question about um, Yosis and XPNR before we move on. Um, how automated is that process? Let's say I want to embed some FPGA fabric on my next uh, tape out, um, and I say, okay, I want 200 lookup tables with four inputs and X, Y, Z. How much work do I need to do to be able to synthesize a bitstream, and how much is automated? Um, it depends what you do. If you... Um, one way is in, in our case, um, that's a little bit different in VP, in how you model um, the primitives like CLBs and multiplexes and maybe cascading uh, or lookup tables, cascading multiplexes, carry chains and so forth. There are some differences how um, um, uh, VPR does it and how the Joseph's uh, next PNR works. Uh, Joseph's next PNR or, or the next PNR path is is more abstract in a way that they don't look too much into the internal details of those tiles, um, which has pros and cons. So um, um, it it's it's not very well suited to do um, design space exploration. Um, for example, that you say, oh, should I be able to combine two lookup tables together? Or should I have a fractional lookup table? And if I have a fractional lookup table, should I have separate latches at, or, or flip-flops at the output and so forth? So if you want to explore those kinds of design decisions automated, uh, that's that's something for VPR. In next PNR, if you want to do these things, you would have to... to um, put this into our model a little bit with manual work. However, if you say, ah, I have like a standard cell library, like that you say, or standard block library of CLBs, of DSP blocks, and they are once designed for, um, for our flow, then you can uh, stitch different fabric sizes together. You can even manipulate with the, um, uh, or, or uh, manipulate the, a routing fabric and everything is automatically generated and you can just program in uh, Verilog and you, you don't touch the internals uh, of the generated files anyhow manually. So it should be fairly straightforward then if I wanted to, if I wanted to do something with a, 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 a standard architecture. 
that's really that's really great news that's the plan yeah so so uh, the idea is uh, you, you can still add your own uh, custom blocks um, that is also per se relatively easy if you want to do for example our DSP block um, where we added like um, um, an action a white accumulator uh, to show that we can handle tiles of, of multiples uh, that are bigger than, for example, just a simple logic tile like, like a CLB. Um, to demonstrate such things, it is that in Joseph's next PNR, if you use in Verilog later the multiply operator, it, it can automatically infer directly from Verilog uh, the multiplier. But if you want to infer the um, um, the accumulator, you have to instantiate uh, it as a primitive, which is pretty much the same thing what you would do in, in a Silex FPGA as well. Yeah. And uh, however, that you can do this, that the uh, multiplier is automatically inferred, that needs some handcrafting, if you want so, to get it into the model. It's not difficult to do. Yeah. But if you have once such a tile, you can reuse it over and over again. Okay, great. So maybe let's move over now to talk a bit about the applications that were made on MPW2 and Win. Maybe um, you could tell us about. Um, with, I think there were two applications that used the Fabulous framework. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So the first one we implemented um, Big Fabric, which is purely the uh, the uh, the COB, the DSP blocks, and also the BRAM blocks. And the second application, so we integrate with the risk file core. So we have two risk file core, and uh, we have the embedded FPGA in the middle. Okay, so the, the first one uh, um, was like more just of a kind of test that everything is working. That's right, kind of, yes. Actually, we, we got the first step uh, with TSMC, and now we, we, we try with the Skywater uh, 130. And yes. Okay. And uh, I looked at the die for the uh, second one with the two RISC-V cores. Uh, that looks pretty interesting. Could you tell us a bit about that? Well, but basically, the um, actually I in chat for the um, for the um, EFBGA and that score actually come from Andrew, so one of the the previous product in Manchester, and uh, actually he implemented everything uh, the RISC-V core with the SRAM all from the. Um, Open land flow with open land flow, and uh, so we integrated together. Uh, so we, I, I took uh, his uh, uh, CPU call with the SRAM and it integrated with the with the uh, open land flow, and so we come out with the um, the, the, the whole fabric and with the uh, CPU. And how many um, uh, logic tiles were there in that second application? Out of interest. Um, we have like six by ten, six by uh, right, um, six column by 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 ten rows. Yes, because of yeah, like uh, we we have to fit to the uh, like 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 uh, to the caravels. So we need to. So it just depends. So we have the the, the fixed the core area, and then it just depends on how left areas, how much area left, and then we fill with the fabric. Okay. 
And for the logic tiles, are they using all just standard cells from the Skywater PDK, or did you have to make anything custom? Yeah, I did make a custom with the squid matrix. Um, so we have the multiplexer four to one, and the reason is we try to get like the um, minimize the the, the 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 areas because you know one of the uh, factor for the uh, FPGA is the, the the area and how much then you can put more logic on. So uh, we we did a custom uh, um, multiplexer because all the switch matrix and also the routing uh, resources in the FPGA uh, rely on the uh, multiplexer. So we make a like, very core one and then we use that. And we can uh, full, uh, successfully integrate it with the, the, the whole um, uh, standard, stuff, uh, standard cell from uh, Skywater and uh, implement the, uh, the chai, yes. I remember the first time I saw a, a decapped and micrographed FPGA, and I was amazed at how much area was spent just on the routing fabric. That's right. Yes, so I can say yes, mostly up to maybe eighty percent. Yeah, fifty to eighty percent of the area used for the routing uh, resources. Yes. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, Okay, so another thing that I'm interested to come back to, which um, Dirk mentioned, was that you're using a custom uh, extension, and an instruction extension for the RISC-V um, processors. Can you talk a little bit about that? I can do that. As Andrew told me uh, quite intensely what we're doing. So um, um, it's essentially... We have on both sides of the fabric a RISC-V core. And from both sides, we um, Andrew is driving in the operands A and B that normally go to your ALU. And he can, from different slots, multiplex results back into uh, the register file. Right. So the logically, the fabric is placed in parallel to the ALU. Yeah, and that allows you to use a slot either by the left RISC-V, by the right uh, RISC-V, or you may even use it to move data from one to the other or, or compute on the fly or daisy chain them. It sounds so flexible and interesting. I mean, it probably will be horrible to write firmware for, but... <laughs> um, well... Um, there are it's 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 there are some mechanisms that Andrew implemented for the instruction decoder that that allows you to simplify it a little bit. Of course, at the moment he does it he does it all in assembly, which means you have like quite limited um, 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 uh, complexity that you handle at the moment. But the instruction decoder has some some means to synchronize the two cores so that you say, okay, uh, that, that the other works basically as a slave from the first one, which simplifies life a little bit. Yeah, and, and a few other uh, means had been implemented. Yeah, for example, you have you have the problem that an FPGA fabric typically runs at much slower clock speed than, for example, the RISC-V. So, so we, we can add automatically weight states and those kinds of things. Or Andrew does that. Thanks. Um, so, Win, back to you. Um, could you talk to us a little bit about how you found um, the open source tools, OpenLane? Um, did you run into any problems? What was it like getting your application together? 
Well, yes, of course, uh, we, we had a couple of uh, problems. And at the moment, actually, I'm, I'm writing the report and later we share with the effective people so to enhance some, uh, some of the features. So I think for the first one, we're facing with the, the, with the FPGA and for the Thai. So we have so many uh, IOPs. And with the current the feature from the open open land, so it cannot handle well the how to distribute, how to grouping the the, the pins uh, together because we 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 want to do that a uh, hierarchy uh, bottom up, so we stick uh, this tie together, and so we need to um, align the pin together from the top to the bottom and on the left and right something like that, and we need to group the pin together, and then we have to assign at exactly. Uh, location, so where we want to put the pin to, right? So with the current uh, uh, open land flow, it doesn't support that. So, but I, I already uh, mentioned that to effective people, and they said they will implement in the next um, uh, version. Um, the other one is like the. Uh, just, do, just do. Can I just um, hold that thought? Let me ask a related question. So, were you using Triton Root to do the routing for you, or were you doing all the routing? Manually programming. No, it program all, all the automatic uh, uh, routing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, yes. Thanks. And your second. Point? And your second so point? the second point is the the density. So at first we try with the um, um, hardening the tie with the open land flow, but they got the very uh, like poor um, uh, for the density for the tie. So so I decided to at at this point so at at this one so we we go with um Cadent Universe. So we 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 can have the tie and then we provide as uh, similar as the primitive cell or like like the standard cell. So later on, if the user want to use uh, or implement their um, embedded FPGA, so you can pick up the tie and stick them together, tie like that. I didn't quite understand that um, that that second point there. Could you um, could you repeat like, it? Basically, so. Um, so we harden the tie by universe to get the best uh, optimization. Oh, you're, oh ha sorry, I think I just misheard it. You harden the tile, so that, that's the logic yes, tile. Yes, that's right. Okay, and you used a different tool to, to, get, to harden that and get a little GDS block, and then that's you put right, that yes. into open lane and used open lane to tile that's that. That's right, yes. Okay, right. So, so the, 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 the reason is we, we want to get the, the uh, uh, as man, as dense as possible, and then uh, so with that hardened uh, tie, so provide to the user later on. So 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 the user just only pick it up and and, and stick together. Depend on the side they they want. Okay. Yeah, I was quite impressed when you said it was six by ten, um, because some of the other FPGA um, examples that I've seen have only kind of managed like five by five or something like that, and I think they were using open lane to do everything. So maybe that you got some of that extra density by using the commercial tools to That's do right, that. That's right, yes. Actually, for, for the last one, for the first application, so we can go with like um, 10, by, 10 by 12. And then we also include with, with the, with the uh, block gram. So you know the, the block gram, so normally it's, 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 it's called a lot of area for, for the, the silicon area. And with this, we can uh, get like six block grams and also uh, 10, uh, 10 by 12 um, COB, uh, our DSP blocks. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Out of interest, what, what are you doing for the block grams? Is that um, DFF RAM or are you are we using, using the, the open SRAM from the um, 
I think from from ah, Matthew. Cool. Yes. Okay. And how was that to use Open RAM? Well, it's it's got a couple of problem um, um, with uh, when uh, integrating with with the with the fabric, and I think it's it has a couple of like the internal DSC error, but that's reserved for uh, memory. So we we got a couple of uh, like DSC report, but uh, later on it's 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 it said it's we can uh, waive all the, the those DSC. And yes, for the DSC check, for example, so we can have to use the abstract view rather than the layout. So we can bypass all the errors. I saw a lot of people struggling with OpenSRAM integration at the end due to DRC and um, things like that. I, I'm hoping that on MPW3, it's going to be a lot smoother. Right. Yeah, I hope so. Yes. There are also, if I can step in, um, a few uh, optimization tools that we implement right now um, to get uh, better density just using the open lane flow because uh, our ultimate goal is really to have an open everything uh, to keep the barriers down and also like what we did with the DS uh, with the with the block ramps um, uh, we are more than happy to embed the best IP that we find in the open source community. And what we really do is with, with Fabulous, it's, it's, it's like a framework. And we are standing on the shoulders of giants like, um, like Joseph and NextPNR and so forth. And, and this is really an enormous ecosystem where lots of people contribute super high quality IP. And, and, uh, we take this all on as much as possible. And, um, and the interesting thing is, it starts to work. <laughs> yeah, so um, let's now transition to talking about, um, we're expecting to get the results back um, for MPW2 in December. So once you get your samples back, what's going to be the process for um, testing? So uh, Badia, as I said, it's my is uh, it's part of his research uh, project he is generating all those test configurations yeah um all sorts of configurations to characterize the chip yeah so at the moment we um uh, he's doing this for silence ultra scale devices uh, but we want to do this all in a generic way that we can put in basically arbitrary architecture graphs and have then different ways to do the stimulus generation and the measurements. And that work is all running in parallel so that if we get the chip on our desk, we can basically connect it directly um, to um, a UR to program or, or another interface and get hopefully some useful uh, numbers out. Excellent. Um, one related question I had was um, the testing that you're doing um, or that you did for MPW2, were you even doing things like simulating loading the bitstream into your custom FPGA? Yes, <laughs> because we also want, of course, to... Uh, oh, uh, that's actually an interesting one. So first of all, of course, if we tape out the chip, we want to know that the configuration mechanism works. Yeah, and, and that, that the whole addressing scheme and all these things work and that we know exactly that we know if we write a configuration bit, how to get data to a specific position into the fabric, that this is all uh, rock solid. But we use this also, Andrew is using this um, uh, for emulation. So, so we basically have, we provide two pathways to test your system. 
And in Andrew's case, because it's it's relatively small with his Risk Five uh, uh, system, he can implement basically an FPGA emulated on top of an FPGA with the whole Risk Fives on one large FPGA, and you can really configure um, that model with the original bitstream. It's fully binary compatible, and something that we have working in a better in a beta version, but there is a little bit more work to be done, um, is that we essentially can take the FPGA fabric itself and we just hard annotate the configuration bitstream and you can recompile again. And then you can emulate one specific circuit running on your fabulous FPGA with on, on a relatively small FPGA. Yeah, so to give you a number, if you do the full emulation path, because we haven't done really much optimizations for that one, uh, you need something like 80 times more lookup tables than you, the fabulous FPGA has. So that's the cost of that one. Yeah. But if you do it in this hard annotation of the bitstream and you recompile, then it's more like a, a, a two or three times more uh, in area. It's, it's so meta. <laughs> if you want so. <laughs> Great. Okay, um, I think that that is um, about the end of my questions. Is there anything else that either of you would like to add? Um, almost, as you said, uh, as I said before, um, this is really an exciting time. Um, uh, we joined, if you want, so the whole open source arena relatively um, short time ago but I'm really amazed how fast everything is moving. I'm really amazed about the enthusiasm of everybody contributing there, um, the ambition to deliver really high quality, the ambition to work together. And it's, it's really fun doing all these things. Great, well, thanks so much, both of you, for your time. I'm uh, really interested to see how things progress. Just uh, as a last point, if people want to get involved with the fabulous FPGA framework or use it, who should they get in contact with? Probably the easiest way is just our, uh, through our fabulous Git repository. Okay. Yeah. So if you Google for fabulous FPGA, uh, you will get our contacts and and. Uh, yeah, we have actually a few external con uh, collaborators like Andrew. We have uh, now one in Turkey and, and there is a small community that starts to grow. Great. Well, all the best with um, validating the results back from MPW2. I hope that all works really well. And uh, very nice to meet you both, uh, Dirk and Wynne. Thanks very much for your time again. And I'll, I'll see you for the next interview when we uh, find out how well the FPGA works. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers, Fingers crossed. crossed. Okay, thank you.